ministry partner Ebenezer, and so they're spending some time right now in the blazing heat and just getting to experience some really amazing, cool things. And so uh, um, I think it'd be great if we could just keep them in prayer and keep in prayer just the ministry that's happening there and what they're doing. I have no doubt they're. Gonna, I've been to Haiti three times. I have no doubt they're going to come back next week. Oops, am I doing something wrong? Or? Okay, hopefully that doesn't continue. Um, uh, I know they're going to come back with some incredible stories and some incredible things to share with you guys, as always happens whenever we, um, whenever we get out of our comfort zone and do that kind of thing. So anyway, with that being said, it's great to be here with you guys. We are in a series right now at both churches called Unexpected, and we're talking about uh, the miracles of Jesus. And we're looking at the different miracles that Jesus did and what those miracles actually pointed to in terms of who he was and, and what his message was all about. And so um, just to tell you a little bit about me, my, my wife and I, we have four boys and my oldest son is graduating high school this next month, which is just crazy to me that he's that old and that we're actually, we are that old to have a kid that is graduating high school. And um, so my wife and I, we've been putting together like the graduation party and all this kind of stuff. And we've been just kind of reminiscing about Alan when he was a kid and all these different um, experiences. And this last week, we were talking about when he lost his first tooth. I can't remember how old he was, maybe six or something like that. And he lost his first tooth. And so we did what a lot of you probably did have done um, with your kids or, or you remember your parents doing with you. We said, there's going to be this magical thing that'll happen. If you take that tooth and you put it under your pillow tonight, the tooth fairy is going to come and she's going to take this tooth because she needs teeth. I'm not really sure why. And she's going to put, uh, for our kids, it was a dollar. I think I only got a quarter from the tooth fairy, but uh, maybe inflation or something. I'm not with that being said, um, so anyway, with Alan, we were like, okay, so if you just put this tooth underneath your pillow, you know, the tooth fairy will come and give you a dollar. And he was just blown away by this. So he puts the tooth under the, the pillow. He goes to sleep that night. He wakes up in the morning. He looks under his pillow. And of course, there is a dollar. His tooth is gone and there's a dollar. And that is a miracle. I mean, that is miraculous in and of itself. But the tooth fairy, it was our first child, keep this in mind. Uh, the tooth fairy went an extra step. She went the extra mile. And so she had actually not only given the dollar, but she had given Alan a handwritten note that she had personally written him. And so he loved this. He just thought this was miraculous. He actually loved the note more than he loved the dollar because really what's a six-year-old going to do with a dollar anyway? And so he thought this dollar or this uh, note was so amazing. So that next night, this, he took this as sort of like an invitation and he wrote the Tooth Fairy letter even though there were no new teeth, and put it under his pillow. And the next night, there was another letter from the Tooth Fairy. And so this, this went on for at least two to three months like a pen pal relationship with the tooth fairy, even though there were no new teeth. This is how much he liked this. And so um, the thing about it was that at first, the tooth fairy thought this was really cute. She thought this was adorable. But as this went on to like two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, now we're at like six weeks, the tooth fairy started getting kind of grumpy about this. She started coming to bed every night complaining, like, I can't believe I've got to write another letter tonight. And uh, as it kept going on, she got even more grumpy as her husband began to laugh at her uh, for continuing to keep this up. And um, why I tell you that, the reason I tell you that is because that's how these miracles kind of function in the Bible. The miracles are never just an event in themselves. When Jesus does something um, in someone's life, there's always a message with it. There's always a note or a message. And that message is always an invitation to a relationship with him. 
None of these miracles are just sort of events all on their own. They all have a message that helps us understand who Jesus is and what he's about. And it's an invitation for us to see ourselves in the story. It's an invitation for us to say, man, maybe that's how God wants to move in my life as well. And that's why they're in the Gospels. That's why they function that way. And so we're looking at different miracles every single week. This week, we're looking at John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. This is the healing at the pool of Bethesda. So this is how John tells the story of this miracle. It says, Afterward, Jesus returned to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish holy days. Inside the city, near the sheep gate, was the pool of Bethesda with five covered porches. Crowds of sick people, blind, lame, or paralyzed, lay on the porches. So if we can for a minute, let's just stop and just imagine this scene. So where they're describing this is, this is right by the Sheep Gate, which is right by the temple in Jerusalem. So right here by the temple in Jerusalem on a holy day, so there's just tons of people everywhere, there are all these sick people. I mean, if you can imagine the sight of like open, gaping wounds and people lying on mats all around this pool that was right near the temple in Jerusalem. We've actually found this place. We know where it is. It still exists today. You can go and visit it. And imagine the smell of like rotting flesh and death. Imagine the sounds of people moaning. They're all laying there. They're in agony. They're in pain. Jesus goes there. So, I mean, let's just picture that for a moment. Jesus intentionally and purposely goes to where all these people, all these sick people are laying around this pool, which begs the question, why in the world are they laying around this pool? If you're reading uh, this story in the NIV Bible, what you may notice, you're not going to see it on the screen, um, but what you'll notice in your Bible is there's a verse 1, a verse 2, verse 3, and then it goes to verse 5. There's no verse 4 if you're reading this in the NIV. And the reason for that is because verse 4 of this story, um, actually, we don't, it's not in the earliest, most ancient manuscripts of the Gospel of John. So what we think happened is this. What we think is that somebody came along after John wrote this gospel, somebody probably years and years later, and they inserted verse 4 to try to help explain to people like us who didn't live around this time, around the temple, and, and we weren't familiar with the pool of Bethesda. It, it's, a, it's a verse that's intended to help us understand why all these people who are sick are laying around this pool. Because this is just a weird story if, you, if you're not familiar with it. And so here's verse 4. Here's what verse 4 actually says. It says, for an angel of the Lord came from time to time and stirred up the water. And the first person to step in after the water was stirred was healed of whatever disease that he had. So that's the verse that was added later by somebody other than John to help us understand. Apparently, all these sick people were laying around this pool because every once in a while, the water would bubble up. And if you got to be the first person to jump in the magic swimming pool right after the water bubbled up, you would be miraculously healed from whatever disease you had. And so in that day, that's what they're doing is they're all laying around. Now, here's what we know. There's actually a little more to that story than what that verse says. The, the verse says it was an angel of the Lord of somebody who added that later after John's gospel. But what we know is that in the ancient world, what people worshipped was uh, one of the gods that they worshipped was the Greek god Asclepius. Can you go to that um, picture on the screen? So this is Asclepius. The way you can always spot the Greek god of Asclepius, if you're ever studying like ancient Greek mythology, he always has a staff and he always has a serpent wrapped around the staff. Now, uh, Asclepius was the Greek god of healing water. He was the god of medicine. In fact, temples uh, from him, they're called Asclepiums, these temples that were made in his honor. You can, they've been found, uh, the remains of them have been found all over Palestine 
in um, the first world century that, that this story is taking place in. And in fact, one of these Asclepiums, one of these temples has actually been found right in Jerusalem, right by the temple, right where the pool of Bethesda is. What, what that means is probably what these people thought, all these sick people laying around this pool, they probably believed that, the, that what stirred the waters was the Greek god Asclepium. He was the god of healing waters. His Asclepiums were basically like health spas. It all involved water. All his healing um, properties involved water. Just for fun, go ahead to that next uh, picture if you could. Um, this is the American Medical Association's logo. Notice the staff with the serpent around it. So Asclepius is still somehow making an appearance or present, you know, in our world today when we, as we think about medicine, as we think about healing. And so all these people are laying around this pool, and what they believe is that the god Asclepius, if you could just be the first person to jump in the water whenever the water bubbled or got stirred up, you would be healed by the Greek god Asclepius. So when Jesus walks into this scene, the question that's being asked, the, the real issue that's being raised here is, who is it really that heals? Who is it that has the power to bring healing? Who, ha who is it in the world that we live in today has the power to actually bring about healing in our lives? So that's the scene. If I could set that for you a little bit, let's keep going in the story. Verse 5, it says, One of the men lying there had been sick for 38 years. When Jesus saw him, and knew he had been ill for a long time, he asked him, would you like to get well? Seriously, that's your question, Jesus? That's what you lead with? Think, I mean, think about this moment. Here's this guy. He's been sick for 38 years. Jesus finds this out. He's lying there. Obviously, his whole life is about lying here on this mat, hoping to be the first person to jump in the water when the water boils, and Jesus walks up, and his question is, would you like to get well? Is there a little bit of humor in some of these stories? I think some of these stories are funny. When you read that, would you like to get well? Really, that's the question. This seems like a no-brainer, right? This seems like Jesus is asking a dumb question. Of course the guy wants to get well. What else would he be doing here if he doesn't want to be well? But pay attention because what we're going to look at next is the response the guy gives to Jesus. And what we're going to see is that this actually isn't a dumb question at all. The question Jesus asks is, is brilliant because it reveals the real issue that's going on in this guy's life. It's not, the physical issues that he's dealing with are not the real issues that he's wrestling with. So here's how he answers. The question is, do you, know, do you would you like to get well? That's what Jesus asks him. Verse seven, he responds, I can't, sir, the sick man said, for I have no one to put me into the pool when the water bubble, bubbles up. Someone else always gets there ahead of me. Did you notice? He, he doesn't answer the question. <laughs> the question was, would you like to get well? That's what Jesus asks him. My understanding of that is that's a yes or no question, correct? Is that your understanding of that? It's yes, I would like to get well, or no, I, I'm good, man, thanks. He doesn't answer. He doesn't give a yes or a no answer at all to the question Jesus asks. Instead, he goes into all these excuses that have to do with how the healing would happen. Well, you see, I'd like to get in the water, but every time I try, if somebody else gets ahead of me, no one's here to help me. Nobody, he's focused on how am I going to get in the pool? But Jesus doesn't say, would you like to get into the pool? Or, or why haven't you got into the pool? What are all the reasons you haven't been able to get in the pool? That's not the question. The question Jesus asks him is simply, would you like to get well? Would you like to get well? 
And here's where we find the intersection of how our faith works when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. There's a great lesson for us to learn in here. And the lesson is that the way faith works in our lives is we have to begin with yes. Yes always comes before how. You can go to that next slide. Yes always precludes how. So when Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? The answer to the question should have just been yes. The how is God's job. This is huge, if we can understand this. The reason a lot of us don't experience breakthroughs in our lives, the reason I feel like over different times in my life, I've struggled to, to find a breakthrough in my relationship with God is because I'm putting how before yes. I'm focused on how is this going to happen? How is that going to happen? How are you going to do this, God? How are you going to do that? How am I going to do it? How am I going to solve the problem? And, and that's not our problem. The, the question Jesus asks each of us is, would you like to be well? It's a yes or no question. How comes later? How is up to him? See, this guy isn't just paralyzed physically, is he? He's not just sick physically. He's, his faith is sick. When Jesus asked him, he's focused so much on how, he can't even ask the, or answer the question that's being asked. We're a lot like this guy, aren't we? I mean, if we look closely, we'll see ourselves a little bit in this guy. What we tend to do, most of us, many of us, we don't want to say yes to the actual healing that Jesus has for us. We'll be okay with, you know, looking anywhere else, everywhere else in our world. We'll try to be first into the pool of success. I'm going to try to be first into the pool of popularity or first into the pool of money or whatever it is. Those things or what we try to be first in. But Jesus never says, hey, I'm going to help you be first. Would you like to be first? He says, would you like to be well? Because healing, true, whole healing, only comes from Jesus. Jesus is the only one who can bring that. And that's what this story is trying to highlight. It doesn't come from Asclepius. It comes from Jesus. The, th the thing that we really need the most, the healing that we need the most, can only come from the person of Jesus. And that's what Jesus asks us. That's what he's asking you this morning with whatever it is that's happening in your life, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? In another part of, of Luke's gospel, um, Jesus says it wasn't the, the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. I came to call sinners to repentance. I didn't come for righteous people. I didn't come for well people. I came for people who needed healing and wholeness and salvation. It all comes when we say yes before we understand fully the how. So let's keep looking here in the story. Jesus responds to this guy. He goes on this whole, uh, you know, range of excuses. Verse 8, Jesus told him, stand up, pick up your mat, and walk. Which I love that, that he calls the guy to take action. Instantly, the man was healed. He rolled up his sleeping mat and began walking. But this miracle happened on the Sabbath. So what I want you to see there is that Jesus heals the guy, but not in response to his faith. Right? The guy never answers the question. He never says, yes, I want you to heal me. There's no like, move of faith. The guy doesn't put his faith in Jesus. The guy doesn't even say, yes, I, yeah, I want to be well. Jesus doesn't heal him in response to his faith. He reaches out even though this guy hasn't done a thing to move in Jesus' direction, and he heals him. He restores him. Pick up your mat and walk. But then John gives us this detail, which seems kind of weird and abrupt. He says, oh, and by the way, the day this happened is on the Sabbath. And now we get to the real point of the story and what this healing is, is really pointing to. It's not just the fact that Jesus healed this guy 
on the Sabbath, but it's that the way he healed him, he said, get up, pick up your mat and walk. The Jewish laws required on the Jewish Sabbath for people to do no work. That was what they were called to do. They were called to rest and not do work. So when Jesus says, pick up your mat and walk, picking up something and carrying it was considered work. So Jesus calls this guy, not, he heals him and says, pick up your mat and walk. And now he's just commanded this guy to break the Sabbath, essentially. And the guy does it. And Jesus does this intentionally. He knows this is going to stir up trouble. He knows what he's done is going to create some conflict. And sure enough, it does. Look at what happens next. Verse 10, so the Jewish leaders objected. They said to the man who was cured, you can't work on the Sabbath. The law doesn't allow you to carry that sleeping mat. But he replied, the man who healed me told me, pick up your mat and walk. Who said such a thing as that, they demanded. The man did not know, for Jesus had disappeared into the crowd. But afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and told him, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. Then the man went and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had healed him. So Jesus basically just heals the guy and disappears into the crowd of people that are there. Which makes us wonder, well, did Jesus not really care about this man's soul? Did he not really care about anything else? Did he just sort of like parachute, drop in, perform this miracle to physically heal this guy and disappear? And the answer to that is absolutely no. And the reason we know that is because it says that later on, Jesus finds the man in the temple. It doesn't say the man finds Jesus later. Jesus isn't done with this guy yet. So Jesus tracks this guy down later and finds him in the temple to, to talk to him about, here's what happened. Here's what this healing had, has for your life. Jesus had more for him than just a physical healing in, the, in this moment. And so the question we, we've got to ask at the end of each one of these kind of miracles when we read them and we study them in the Bible is just this question. What does this tell us about Jesus? What does this miracle, what does this moment tell us about who Jesus is? And so verse 13 uh, that we just read tells us that the reason Jesus healed the man and then disappeared into the crowd and walked away is because there's this crowd of people there. There are all these sick people who are there. So imagine for a moment what would have happened if Jesus would have healed this guy and then hung around. He's, it's sick people, as far as the eye can see. What would have happened next? It's not a trick question. What, 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 what do you think would have happened next? Man, it would have just exploded. The place would have gone crazy. I mean, these people are all laying there like waiting for a miracle, right? They're waiting to jump into the, be the first to jump in the pool. If Jesus would have healed this guy and then hung out, there would have been like a rush on miracle seeking. People would have just mobbed him and Jesus disappears into the crowd because that's not what he came to do. He didn't come to heal everybody's sicknesses and illnesses. Isn't that hard? That's, maybe that's a, a bit of a hard, you know, because we think, oh man, Jesus must just want to heal every sickness and illness that we experience in this life. No, he doesn't. He disappears into the crowd. He doesn't heal anybody else physically in that moment. There's something else that's happening with this miracle. There's something more he wants to do. And so he finds the man later in the temple and he tells him the real issue in his healing. He says, look, uh, now you are well, so stop sinning or something even worse may happen to you. So, so what's the issue? The issue is, look, I've healed you, I've restored you in order to make you holy. In other words, this healing moment, this moment where Jesus touches this man and heals him, it was a starting line moment. It was not a finish line moment. It was, it was the beginning of something in this guy's life. It wasn't the culmination. It wasn't the end. 
Jesus reaches out and restores him to begin a relationship with him. And a lot of times what we do is we look to God and we say, God, would you heal me? And if he does, we go, great, prayer answered, and we, we kind of move on with our lives. Or we say, God, why don't you heal me? Why don't you bless me? Why don't you give me this or that or answer this prayer? And if he doesn't, we go, well, I tried. And in this story, what's happening is Jesus reaches out with grace first, heals this man, restores him to begin a conversation, to start a relationship here. And so his, his instruction to this guy is, Look, you've been healed. And Jesus knows he can tell the guy, now stop sinning, or something else may, worse may happen, because he knows he's healed the guy. And this is the first point in the story where the guy could even hear something like that, and that could even be a reality. And this is how Jesus works in our lives. Well, the way Jesus works is he offers grace first. It's a free gift. Jesus does all the heavy lifting for our salvation. His death on the cross and his resurrection have paid the price for each one of our sins. He's reached out to each one of us. He's the one who's done the work. And so it's grace first. It's healing first. It's salvation first. And then, once that's happened in our lives, then we learn to live out of that power. Then we learn to begin to follow after Jesus so let the gift of healing, let the free gift of grace be the means to your new life of holiness. But we have to get to this place where we're willing to say yes to whatever God wants to do in our lives. And it's even if we don't fully understand the how. As I think about um, my uh, life right now, where this whole concept of, of how faith works, the whole yes before how thing happens, for me in this last year, um, where I've seen it, is about a year ago, and we're sister churches, so um, you, you guys may or may not have been kind of aware this was happening, but about uh, at the end of last fall, a couple of you, a couple of you in this room were on our board um, for, for both churches, so you kind of know this was happening, but uh, we found out at the frontline building that we needed a new roof. There were these seven weak spots in the roof, and there had been leaking and all this stuff going on, and so uh, we, got, we got that looked at, and what we got told was, yeah, you need a new roof, and it's going to cost $500,000. Yeah. And just to be very clear, we don't have $500,000. That's not something we have. In the meantime, our sound system kept falling apart and more and more stuff kept breaking. So we were told, yeah, we need a new sound system. We spent like $8,000 just repairing junk on our sound system, not, not like improving it. And so um, here's what happens as, to, as a lead pastor, and you, I'm sure John feels this, any of us feel this. When that moment came, what I thought to myself was, man, how in the world am I going to come up with $500,000 for a new roof? How am I going to do that? And however much more money on, on top of that it's going to cost for a sound system. I mean, I felt the weight of that squarely on my shoulders. And so what I did is I began talking to our leadership team, and I began saying, okay, we got to get a strategic plan together because I'm thinking about how. How are we going to do this? I was going to do a capital campaign. We were going to, you know, uh, do this whole thing for money, and we were going to figure out how to put a new roof on this building for all this money we didn't have. And I felt like I'd better do this. Like, I'm the leader. I better, I better step up to the plate and do it. And um, somebody on our leadership team just started pushing back and saying, have we prayed about this yet? Don't you hate when people ask questions like that? Have we, what do you, have you, have we prayed? Well, I've prayed about how I'm going to solve it. I've prayed about that. And we began talking about and saying, no, what would it look like for all of us, like to call the entire church to just pray and seek God? Like before we do the campaign, before we figure out how we're going to do it, the roof's, I mean, it's still intact, it's leaking, but it's there. 
why don't we just call the whole church? And so last fall, we did this 40 days of prayer and fasting together as a church. And uh, it was part of that series that we all went through um, about Jesus in the wilderness for 40 days. Some of you were here, you were part of that here at this campus, at this church. And so um, basically 40 days of prayer and fasting, the whole congregation did that with us. And at the end of that, uh, that 40 days, we did not ask people to give a dime. We didn't say, we want your money. We said, we want you to pray and fast with us. At the end of that, people gave $100,000, uh, and we didn't expect it. It just kept, kind of kept coming in. So we said, praise God. I mean, I stood up front. I was like, praise God. That's so awesome. You guys felt led uh, to give $100,000. But here's the thing. We, it's not $500,000, right? I mean, $500,000 is what we need for this roof, and then even beyond that for a sound system. And um, so I said, that's great, but let's just keep praying. Let's keep seeking God. Well, the next thing that happened was uh, through a, a member of our congregation, we got connected to this guy, a Christian business owner in our community, who's done all this reputable work um, in our community. And he said, if, could I just come up and take a look at the roof? We'd already had two other companies look at it and been told the same thing. But yeah, sure, fine. The guy comes up on the roof. He looks over our, our roof and he says, here's the deal. You do need some work done. You have these seven weak spots on the roof that need to be repaired. But the thing is, it's an old roof on an old Meyer building is what we're in and, and on that side of town. He said, the rubber on the roof and the seams are actually okay. There's still life left in those rubber seams. So he said, here's what we'd be willing to do. For $40,000, we will fix the seven-week spots on the roof, and we'll warranty the roof for three years. Complete warranty. Like, if it, anything goes bad, we'll fix it on our dime. And then in three years, if the rubber is actually bad enough on the roof that it needs to be replaced, we'll do it for half the cost. That's like a ministry partnership. Just blew me away. Had no idea that was going to happen. Yes, exactly that. Like, thank you for the, for the help there blew my mind. So what we did is we paid the $40,000 out of the 100,000 people gave, and then with what was left over, we're, we're going to be able to put a new sound system in this summer and solve that. And that's awesome. So it's awesome that not only did we not have a $500,000 problem, we had much less, and God provided what we need. But here's the best part. We tithe out of every dollar that comes in. And so uh, we were already tithing on the normal budget, you know, of the church. But we said, why don't we tithe on um, this extra 100000 that came in. And so not only did God meet our need, not only did he provide exactly what we needed, but we were able to turn around and bless several different ministries. And one of the ministries we gave money to and bless is the ministry that your pastor and your worship leader are at right now in Haiti. Is that not incredible? That God turned our incredible need into not just provision, but a blessing for other ministries. That blows my mind. Here, here's what I think. I think God has way more for us than we are willing to believe sometimes. But we have to say yes before how. We, we have to say, have we stopped and even prayed about this? I mean, before we figure out how, before we go into our, our, you know, our stress and our anxiety about how we're going to fix it, because all the weight sits right here, have we just sought Jesus yet? There's something that happens when we say yes before how, because the only question that Jesus asks this guy is, do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? So, do you want to be well? I mean, truly well. The answer is yes. Even if you don't know the how, the answer is always yes before there's how. So I want to talk to two different kinds of people today uh, in the room. If I could, I feel like this is how um, God wanted me to end. So uh, the first group of people I want to talk to here in the room uh, are those of you who are in a place where you need to say yes, even to, if you don't know the how of what God's going to do next. And as the band comes up, 
Is, is there a place in your life where you need to just say yes to God's forgiveness, yes to his healing, yes to his salvation, yes to whatever it is he wants to do in your life, even if you don't know the how? Are you at a place where, where you've said, God, I'd like to take that step. I'd like to trust you with that area of my life. Maybe it's a calling he's placing on your life. It's a purpose that he's given you. But you're saying, man, how would I do that? How would I, I got my job, I got my responsibilities. How would I follow Jesus to do that thing he's calling me to do? The answer is yes. That's it. He'll figure out the how. The how is his job. Your job is to say yes to whatever he calls you to. And I was thinking specifically, I don't know if you guys knew this, next week is a baptism service here at Center. We've got a couple of people who are planning to get baptized. I think there, it was planned and it got switched around to next week. And so as I was preparing this week, I, thought, I felt like the Holy Spirit maybe just said, um, for some of us, that's, we don't understand oftentimes the way baptism works. Baptism is a yes before how moment in our lives as well. It's a faith moment. Baptism, Romans 6 says that uh, we're buried with Christ in baptism. And it's this idea that just like Jesus died and was buried on, on behalf of our, us for our sins, when we go down in the waters of baptism, what we're saying is I'm dying to my old life. I'm dying to me trying to fix it. How am I going to get in the water? Nobody else helps me. I know, or somebody always gets ahead of me. Don't think about how. When we die, what we're saying is I'm, di I'm dying. I'm going down in this water. I'm dying to myself trying to fix it my way. Because the truth of the matter is none of us can fix what's broken in our lives. None of us. And if you could, you'd already have done it by now. And just like Jesus came, rose from the grave to give us a new life, when we come out of the waters of baptism, what we're doing is we're coming out of the waters and we're going public with our faith and saying, I'm living a new life in Jesus. Not by my power, but by his power. I have this conversation regularly. Um, we had a baptism service last uh, week at Frontline, and I, I literally, almost every time, I have this exact conversation with somebody. Somebody will come up after the baptism service and say, they'll say, hey, that's going to be me one day, that baptism. And I'm always like, you mean that one right there? Like, we, it's there, right, right there. Well, <laughs> someday you're going to do it? It's right there. Why didn't you do it today? And what they do next is they always do the same thing. They pull out their list. Here's my list. Well, I've got this thing in my life. I've got this problem. I've got this relationship. I've got, you know, this addiction, this habit. I've got this thing. And so I'm working on those things. And once I get all those things fixed, once I get all those things under control, then I'll be ready to go get baptized. And I say the same thing every time. You don't get what baptism is. That's not how it works. You don't clean yourself up so that you can get in the tank. That's not how it works. It's... Do you want to be well? Do you want to be well? Because you don't have the power within yourself to clean it up. You don't have the power within yourself to fix it. The question is, do you want to be well? And the answer is yes. And if you're at a place in your life where you've said yes, let him redeem you. Let him fill you with his Holy Spirit. Let him save you. And you'll be able to live the life he's called you to live out of that. It's yes. And he'll figure out the how. The other group of people I want to talk to in the room is maybe there are some of you in this room who you've been following Jesus your whole life, or you know you got baptized, you got baptized years and years and years ago, you're living a walk of faith, you're following him, you're trusting him, and, and for you, maybe what you need to do is you need to take the next step to surrender that one area of sin that you're still holding on to, white knuckle gripped. 
See, Jesus goes and he finds this guy in the temple. After he said, look, I've healed you. I've restored you. I've given you everything you need. It's in me, not in you. And then he says to him, so stop sinning or something else may, worse may happen to you. He knows he can say that to that guy because he knows now he can do it. It's out of his faith and his trust in Jesus that he can do it. You know what, I, you know what I've discovered in my life? Whatever it comes to like sin, an area of sin that I know I need to surrender to God, it's never like 10 things. For most of us, it's not like, oh, there's like 10 areas in my life I need to surrender. For most of us, if we've been following Jesus for a while, it's one area. There's one thing right here. One area. God, you can have this area of my life. You can have my finances. You can have my marriage. You can have my sexuality. You can have whatever it is in my life. You can have everything, but there's this one area. It's a habit. It's a relationship. It's an addiction. It's it's one thing usually for most of us. And it's one area that provides some sort of comfort or security. And so maybe there's, for some of you in the room today, maybe the application is just, is there a a yes before how moment in your life that you need to just say, God, I'm going to surrender that to you. I'm going to trust you that you're going to be able to meet me in that. And what you'll find is when you surrender it to him, when you and you, maybe you're sitting there going, well, how am I going to get rid of that? How am I going to deal with that? That's not your job. Your job is, do you want to be well? Say yes. And so, Jesus, we just come before you this morning as your children. Uh, because that's what we are. Because of what you did on the cross for us, because of your resurrection, we are children of God. We're heir, co-heirs with you co-heirs with Christ. And so we thank you, God, that you are a father who loves us. We thank you that you meet us where we are. And you. And so this morning we hear you inviting us and asking us the question. The invitation with this miracle this morning is, do you want to be well? And this morning, God, we say yes. Yes. Even though we don't know the how. For some of us in this room, maybe you're calling us onto the mission field. Maybe you're calling us to, to leave behind a job or a situation or whatever it is to trust you. And we don't know how we're going to be provided for. We don't know how it's going to happen. This morning we say yes. Yes. Maybe it's a, a habit, an addiction, something we don't know how we're going to get healing from. It. And we're embarrassed. We don't want anybody else to see it or to find it out or whatever. This morning, God, we say yes. Do we want to be well? Yes. And we know that it comes from you and you alone. You are the only thing that can heal the brokenness of our lives to the core of our being, not just physically, but in every other way. And so this morning, uh, we invite you to do that, even as we sing and as we respond, God, we say yes to you as we do that. It's in Jesus' name. Everybody said, amen. Would you stand with us?